The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. Welcome back to part two of this episode. I really hope you enjoyed part one. Now let's get back into it. If you were to go back again, right, let's say mm-hmm. go back to day one, you're diagnosed, mm-hmm. pre-absolute hell, <laughs> what would you have done differently, if anything? Or what would you have said to yourself? Or what would you have changed, if anything? I would say, I mean, there's going to be bumps. There's going to be ups and downs, literally and figuratively. But I think the biggest things I would have told myself, like if I went back now to seven-year-old Ben and said, here's what you need to know, it's just own it. Just own the living crap out of it too. Not just, you know, oh, I own it. I have diabetes. Like I have diabetes and I don't care because it's part of my life. It's something that's a part of me. I'm going to manage it. I'm not going to let it determine what my fate is or what I ultimately end up doing. And I can still play sports. I can get strong. I can do all these things. And no matter how many people tell me that I cannot, I don't care. And just having that thick skin out of the gate, I think would have been really helpful. Also, you know, that same breath questioning some of the stuff with the carbs like we talked about before right (laughs) where you know hey you know if i don't want to eat 65 grams of carbs at breakfast maybe i can have a different amount and that's okay (laughs) but you know that that would be a separate note but in terms of the actual mindset the confidence side it is perfectly fine to live with diabetes and while at that time i think it was one out of every four or five hundred people who had it you know as you're a chosen one instead of thinking that you know (laughs) you're some person that's different and it's not okay no you're chosen you're about to do great things and you're going to show the world that you can do these things and the world better get its popcorn ready because you're about to show out it's gonna be dope you know that's that's how i would what i would tell and i mean seven-year-old ben would be like what does show out mean but you know we could define it in that in the terms that were needed do you feel like ben as a result of that experience that you obviously had like quite intimately with your diabetes going through those different years as a kid and into a teenager, has that made you more resilient? Has that like created a thicker skin even in other areas of your life? I would say, yeah, because I felt like I had to grow up a lot faster than a lot of other people because there was this underlying responsibility. So I felt like, you know, I have to be in charge of my health. I have to make sure I'm I'm dialing in things so I feel good, so I can do what I need to do. And I think then when just other situations would come up, whether it's, you know, these days it could be, I don't know, you know, relationship things, or it could be, you know, planning events or whatever it might be. When something hits, I feel like it kind of just bounces off at first and it takes a lot more to get through underneath as opposed to 
oh, this thing's horrible. My life is over. I have a lot more of, hey, it's going to be okay. I've dealt with far worse from diabetes. And over the years, I think too, it, it almost teaches you that failure is okay. And you embrace failure faster, you're going to be successful way faster. Love that you said you embrace failure faster or you, you're, you're more accepting of it essentially because the reality of it is when you live with diabetes, there's almost small wins and fails every single day of the week. And something that, again, took from your Instagram, which I loved, was an acronym <laughs> that you used to avoid higher low blood sugar ruining your day was ARM, A-R-M. Tell us about that. Oh, I, I love that because it just, again, it takes the meaning out of the blood sugar that you're about to give it. So it's, hey, my blood sugar, I'll speak in my, you know, milligrams per deciliter, right? I'm 226. Instead of, oh my God, this is horrible. I'm failing. This is the worst thing in the world. And letting your brain just take you on the spiral, which then can impact the rest of your life. Just acknowledge, hey, this is, this is happening. I'm 226. Respond. What am I going to do to fix this 226? Am I going to just correct it with a dose? Am I going to walk? Am I going to drink water? Am I going to do all three? You know, what can I do right now? Okay, I've done, you know, a correction. I took some water and then move on. Go live your life. Do your thing. <laughs> sitting there and looking at your, at your, you know, CGM or sitting there and testing your blood sugar every five minutes isn't going to change it any faster. If anything, it's going to make it 10 times worse because now you're stressed. <laughs> so I, that's what I always advocate is arm, you know, acknowledge, respond, move on and life will be okay. Love it. hundred percent. And that's, I'm, I'm such a big believer in that. And I always look at it as with any high or low blood sugar, I say, analyze objectively, don't react emotionally. Because when you react emotionally, that's where your head starts spiraling into, you know, I'm up at 20, 25. Oh, that means yeah. I'm going to go blind. That means I'm going to lose my feet. I always feel as if it's more so what you associate with that blood sugar makes it worse because you're, as like you've said, you stress out about it more. From all the patients and all the clients that you've worked with, Ben, mm -hmm. I know this is probably a difficult question, but what do you feel people struggle with more when it comes to their diabetes, the physical side of things or the mental side of things? Oh. That is such a good question. I know that's completely unique and subjective, like with each person, but even just from For your sure. experience. I don't know if I can necessarily give you one definitive, like it must be, or if it had to be physical or had to be mental, I don't think I could give you a good answer, but I could tell you it's probably two thirds physical, one thirds mental, um, at least from what I can see, because, but I think then no, to your point, it might be actually flip-flopped. Because I think I would, the physical, I would say, I say yeah, the opposite. I, th I think it's yeah, flip flop. Yeah, yeah. I take that back. It's flip flop because no, no, no. It's interesting. But it, it, it's interesting that you even said that first because I initially yeah. think it's probably two thirds mental than physical. Well, I was. It took me a second. I'm like, I think it's. Too. And I was like, <laughs> no, it, it's definitely flip flop. To your point, because the physical is is saying so much about it influences the mental side so much. So you have that 226. You're now freaking out. That's the mental side. So a lot of it is, and I, I don't know who said the quote, but you know, life is 10% what happens, 90% how you respond. Mm -hmm. Diabetes fits that mold exactly. Because the physical side, sure, you feel like crap. You know, your blood sugar's high or your blood sugar's low and you want to eat the whole fridge and you do, and then your blood sugar goes high. That is going to take a toll physically as it is. And you know, the sleep that you miss and you know, having to prick yourself and it gets annoying. But the, the mental side of having to deal with it with zero vacation 
zero days off. You know, you're there, you're with it all the time, whether you want to acknowledge it or not is your choice. But that I think does take the toll in addition to the constant micro decisions of, well, my number's high right now, or, well, I'm, you know, 84. Well, what if this, you know, thought about a possible complication comes into my mind? So yeah, I'd, I'd say two thirds mental, one third physical, but the two very much so feed into each other. Mm. You know? Yeah, they're they're constantly in harmony together, you know, because yes. I, I always look at, again, even just from my own experience, my own perspective, I find the physical easier to deal with when my mental is in a better place. Like if I'm in a yes. good, even just using the example of if I'm in a good mood and if I am energized and have slept well, like I feel good mentally, therefore I find it easier to do the physical things necessary, like go out for a walk and drink my water and pre-bolus and count my carbs, all these different things. And then doing that physical again comes back and benefits my mental because my blood sugars are in a more stable place. I feel better as a result. And I find as if when we kind of neglect it or we pretend like, oh, you know, it's not really important. I'll worry about it next week or whatever that's more the mental but it has a direct impact on the physical and then that's what makes us feel physically bad and then as a result mentally bad so yeah i suppose it for me i kind of have it it stems from the mental and my approach towards i'm actually going to take action on doing the physical well and then the stress too the the mind body connection can't be understated at all of course because the mo- I, there was one time i'm trying it was Six years ago now, it was, I was in grad school and it was one of those weeks, you know, from hell where, you know, there's exams, there's, you know, personal life things. There's all sorts of things, everything thrown at you. I just remember there was one day my sight was fine. My insulin was fine. My blood sugar sat at 220 and I would correct and I would correct and I would correct. And it did, I think I took like somewhere between 12 and 15 total units of correction. I took an injection at some point. It did not move. But I was super stressed and anxious and I could feel, you know, the physical manifestation. The moment that I chilled out and I truly relaxed and my subconscious brain chilled out, I went right to 123 and didn't do anything and just sat there. That was all from the stress. And at the time it was, you know, self-inflicted. So I think that the mental health side cannot be understated how important that is. Mm. It's fascinating, isn't it? You take like just sitting at that number, even though nothing physical had changed that would have caused blood sugar to spike, as you say, just the mental, I, the stress. I had done everything, right? I corrected, walked, drank water, took the injection, figured, you know, hey, maybe it's just nothing. But then the moment that I chilled out, it just floated. And I see that constantly. Even like, you know, if I have a day where I'm really stressed right now, I might pop up to 180 and I don't come down until I'm truly chilling. And there's a reason for it. It's that that cortisol is a nasty beast. Oh yeah, can't be ignored. And it, it's funny, it reminds me of, I say funny, uh, it wasn't funny at all. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it reminds me of a week I had, was it like early 2022? And it was super, super, like incredibly stressful. And again, much like you, much like that week you had, nothing had changed. I was still eating the same. I was still moving and exercising, but my bloods were just constantly high and any correction i took it was as if i just injected water nothing was happening and then when the 
stressful thing was relieved. It was quite literally just like vroom, back to normal. Mad. It's mind blowing. It's honestly, it's, it's fascinating to look at in the, you know, Hey, that was so long ago, but in that moment, it's not, there's nothing more frustrating because you're doing everything right and nothing's changing. Mm. Do you find as if you can predict your blood sugar spiking during stressful periods of time? Like what I mean by that is as if you would pre-bolus for food, Mm. can you say I'm doing this stressful thing today, I know my blood sugar is going to spike, therefore I'm going to take insulin before us to avoid the spike. Or how would you approach something like that? Because that's a a bit of a dodgy one. That's a tough one because to that point too, like what if the stress isn't as intense as you expect? Exactly. Like I'd say, I would say, you know, if you're talking about in competition, right, you have a basketball game or you're a kid, you know, you have a football game or whatever. In that case, you know, hey, I know there's going to be an adrenaline spike and you know you could try to plan for it. But then at the same time, you got to be careful because once that game's over, you're going to plummet. So you got to be super, super careful with, you know, not overdoing it for our purposes. You know, let's say there's no competition. There's nothing that's, you know, the good stress. And it's just, hey, I know this day is going to be really stressful. You can try. But also to your <laughs> point, recognize, you know, it's going to be similar. It might work. It might not. I wouldn't give anything crazy because the God forbid, you know, the moment you chill out, you're going to plummet. And that's not going to be a fun mess to have to clean up. Mm. So <laughs> it's almost like. No, I I would almost say, you know, you're better off little teeny amounts if you're going to do anything and just work on doing everything in your power to keep your, you know, composure, focus on the mental health, the self-care side. And ideally, that's enough to be able to mitigate it from going where you would expect it to otherwise go. Kind of like pulling from the root instead of addressing the problem, like just on the surface. Even on that, is there anything that you do, Ben, consistently to like try and just keep your stress to a minimum to avoid further days like that oh well i i'd say the biggest thing i do would be i meditate every day and i don't do a long time you know i might do five minutes i might do 10 minutes but just that letting your thoughts just kind of flow through and just observing them and letting them go that tends to help a lot at least from my experience and the first few times if someone's you know listening they want to try it it's going to be really hard. You're going to have a million thoughts in your brain. You're going to be like, why are these things coming up that I haven't thought about in months? This is weird. But over time, when you just focus in on your breathing, and it's all you're focusing on the entire time. It usually tends to really provide a lot of clarity. And maybe something comes up that I needed to think about, but I forgot about. And I'm thinking, wow, that's awesome. So not only do you get, you know, sometimes little productivity hacks from that, but you also center and to me, it really helps. And that's been one of the major things that's helped with my stress, especially, you know, with the blood sugars. Mm. So how does that look for you then daily? Do you do it first thing in the morning? Do you do it midday? Do you do it at night? When do you do it? I always tell people, if you're going to do it, I'd, I'd pick a book end of the day. I'd pick either the beginning or I'd pick the end because the middle, you may not have control over. You may say, hey, at two o'clock, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a meditation session. Well, something might happen and now you can't do it and now you've missed your window. So I start out my day with it to try to get some clarity, get centered, ready to go. Um, And again, I don't spend a super long time, but it's enough to just allow me to start off with a fresh slate that I'm feeling good from a mindset perspective. And if I have to do it again later, you can always do it again later on too. But at least I know every start of every day, it's going to be a solid place to begin. And do you do it guided at all? Or do you simply just sit down and focus on your breathing? There's another voice crack. You're making me nervous. Third time's a charm. (laughs) You're making me nervous. Do you just sit in silence and just focus on your breathing yourself or do you do it guided? 
I've done both. Um, when I first started, I did guided just to kind of get into the mode more. And I think guided can be helpful for a lot of people. I personally just sit there in silence just because mm-hmm. also then once you acquire that skill, you can do it anywhere. Like I've meditated on a subway before, you know, I've meditated on a, on a, you know, a plane before, like it's, you can be anywhere and just do it. And nobody's, you're just ha- sitting there focusing on your breath. No one's going to say anything. Mm-hmm. No one even knows you're doing anything. That's what I need to start doing because I I have always used do you know that app Headspace. No, oh, of course. I've, yeah, so I I always do it with that. So it's like a fifteen minute guided one. But now I'm thinking maybe I should start doing it in complete silence. It I think it's just more versatile, right? Because then it's like, what if I don't have headphones and I want to listen to this and I'm in a crowded space or you know I'm feeling super anxious in some event? Well, if I'm just sitting there focusing on my breath, eyes don't have to necessarily be closed. But at the beginning, you know, I tend to close mine to really get locked in. That can be something where it does a world of, you know, help for your blood sugars and just your mental headspace. And then you're not relying on, well, I got to go dip out of this event and go find a bathroom and put on my headphones and, you know, listen to this thing and hopefully no one interrupts me. I think it's just a lot more versatile. Mm. I'm going to start that this week and I'll let you know how it goes. I'm going to hold you to that because it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a big, 100%. it's a big thing. Well, see, I do it every morning for 15 minutes anyway. So I, it would just be, be the, the shift from doing it with headphones compared to not doing it with headphones before this podcast ben i put up a kind of question box on instagram we got a good few questions come in which i was delighted to see come in i picked three if we have time to answer three let's go through them right the first one is if you had to stick to only one thing to manage your diabetes what would it be and why i'm assuming so i can only pick like nutrition or exercise or using a pump i guess I don't presumably know. yeah just one thing wow <clears throat> if i could pick one thing only i would say i'd, I'd focus on the food because i tell people you know 80 percent of your blood sugars are dictated by food and your food choices and there's obviously that other 20 percent's made up of so much but if the food has such a big direct impact you get that dialed in a lot of the other issues tend to go away if that was the only thing I could pick. Now, of course, like we said, you know, there's what 40 plus things that do something to your blood sugar. <laughs> yeah. There's a wild amount. You could be in a mountain and your blood sugar's high, and you're like, why is my number high? It's like, because you're in a mountain. But you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I'd pick food. Food is my choice. 100 percent I don't know what you pick. You gotta tell me what you'd pick. Is it 100 percent agree. It would be quite literally just focusing on what goes into my mouth because that just has the most immediate impact on your blood sugar like on a consistent basis. I always say, even just to myself, if I can control to a certain extent and be disciplined to a certain extent about what I put into my mouth and how I approach that, you're putting yourself at a huge advantage blood sugar wise every single day. That or resistance training. That would be my second. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that 100%. A close second. Right, number two. How would, this is actually a good one, particularly coming from... uh, uh, diabetic dietitian, how would your bolus differ with different meals? And then in brackets, high carb, high fat, high protein. Ooh, that's you can probably speak for too. hours on that one. <laughs> oh my God. I could, I could speak for, I could give a whole seminar on it. No, I, I would say the, the biggest thing I would say here is if there is, if it's like, I'm trying not to like dive into all the science, right? There's so many things I'm like, we can talk about this and this and this and that. If it's just high carb, Cool. Dial up. It's 45, not 45. It's not that much. 78 grams. Cool. Dial up, you know, do your pre-bolus done. But when you start introducing that fat, 
So that's just carbohydrate. That's just that's carbohydrate. Just straight yeah. carbs. Yeah, yeah. Just straight carbs. And I mean, maybe minimal fat, minimal protein. But if you're, yeah. you know, you have a bagel, right? That would be a good example. But if you tell me, hey, I'm having that chicken Alfredo pasta, that is still on my mind. And I'm not afraid to say that. <laughs> you know, if that is, if that is what's going to be had, I am going to have to dose for that pasta. And then later on, I affectionately call it, you know, now and later dosing, right? You're going to have to take something else because that fat's going to come back with a vengeance and it's going to smack you in the mouth if you're not ready for it. Mm. So that you have to pay attention to. If it is just protein by itself, you know, no carbs, nothing else, that will break down into some glucose and can raise your blood sugar. So you may need a dose. It just may not be right when you eat it. Um, and then, I mean, we could do every combination from here, right? The fat and protein, it'll hit you, but it'll hit you slower and later on you know, high carb, high protein, probably not going to do a whole lot. It's just going to be a normal dose and you'll be fine. But mm. this is all the most like high level 30,000 foot view type of stuff versus the, you know, very, very detailed per person type of thing that you would need depending on who asked the question. Of course. So to just even simply summarize that, if it's primarily just high carb, mm-hmm. pre-bolus, yeah? Yep. I mean, pre-bolus anything, but yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, of course. Yeah. If it's primarily high fat with carbohydrate, it's taking insulin for the carbohydrate and the fat later. Yep. And then if it's protein, essentially you're taking insulin at a delayed time to counteract the yep. delayed spike. It pretty much, yeah. In the most okay. simple terms, That's I think simplest terms, right. simplest yes. terms. Well, because I, I, I could literally be like, yeah, you know what? This ratio of the car, of the protein breakdown, you know, it should hit around this time. Like, I'm not going to go into that unless we, you know. Do we can do that another day. We can do that exactly. Exactly. Last one. This is actually this is a good one. I'm I'm interested where this one could go. How can I stop worrying about the long term effects of my diabetes? Ooh, I like that one. So, I mean, I would say if somebody's really worried, if they're if they've already experienced something, then you know, hopefully, that's enough of a motivator to say, "Hey, I'm going to get on my game and I'm going to get on it now." But if somebody's, you know, hey, I've had diabetes for two years or for 10 years and I'm worried about 40 years from now, I would say, you know, similar approach is focus on today. If you're, you know, anxiety is what worrying about the future, right? So you're worried about the future. That's not going to help support right now and what you need to do right now. I would focus instead on building that infrastructure so you feel confident in what you need to do on a daily basis build out. What is that food going to look like for you? What is that activity going to look like for you? You know, what other lifestyle factors are you going to include? So you have such a strong foundation that 40 years from now, you'll still be able to stick to that foundation. So I think that's the important thing. If someone's worried about the future, focus on now, because then you don't have to worry about a potentially bleak future. You get to choose what path you go on. And if you don't choose any path, it'll choose for you. Love it. Absolutely (laughs) love it. We are very, very, very similar in a lot of ways we think about our diabetes, which is fascinating to me again, right? And it's fascinating to me because this is pretty much the first real conversation me and you have had. The two of us have completely different upbringings, completely different backgrounds. We live completely different sides of the world, but we feel almost exactly the same about how we approach our diabetes physically and mentally, which is kind of blown my mind, which is a, a fascinating thing. Couldn't agree more. And I always look at it and we've spoken about it on this podcast before around like, even if I catch myself thinking about the long term, I always just pull it in 
I'm like, focus on today, focus on right now. I always say, focus on my next meal because the only thing you have control over is what you're doing right now anyway. So if you have that consistency and you have that routine to a certain extent, you have that confidence, that understanding short term, you know, long term that you're in a good place, which is exactly as you say, you're relieving that stress because you're not thinking about the the long term. So I I like that answer, Ben. Another thing I saw on your Instagram, which which I laughed, which I laughed about, and it was just a quote and it said, some low blood sugars don't require 15 grams of carbs. Uh, yep. Love it. So true. So simple, but very important because the way I always look at it too, it's all low blood sugars aren't treated or aren't created the same. Right. And I always say, like, you can be just dipping, and then other times you can be dropping and crashing. The treatment to those can be completely different. So, how would you generally treat a, a dip as opposed to like a crash? Oh, I'll tell people, and I have no problem with this, is like, you're 68, right? You're 70, you're, 70 is not even really a low, but you know, you're 66 and you're just chilling, like you mentioned, you might only need six, seven, eight grams Mm. just to get you back up into range. You're at 90, you know, maybe 95. If you're absolutely tanking, you might need way more than 15. If you were just super active and you have active insulin on board and you just went from 120 down to 55 and... (laughs) 15 minutes. Yeah. You're probably going to need a little bit more to just put the brakes on and then kind of see where it goes. Doesn't mean it's an open invitation to eat everything in your fridge, (laughs) but it also, you know, doesn't mean that you need to, you know, just sit there with your 15 and just wait like you were probably instructed when you were first diagnosed. So it's really telling. I think the context, like you alluded to is the most important thing. And then of course the, you know, it's the context. And then also some people respond to carbs better, right? I might need 16 grams for a low that you might need 12 for mm-hmm. and that's okay it's you know it's finding what works for you and your body at the end of the day that's what diabetes really is right and again i always i always look at like a correction dose and eating a meal and treatment of a hypo in a similar sort of way because it's a it's still a process of learning you know how does my body respond to a certain amount of food or insulin essentially or at different times of day or whatever it might be. And I try and where possible look at treating a hypo similar to taking insulin, like a medication. Yeah. The candy corn is my life-saving medication. (laughs) I said that to someone once and they were like, no, it's not. And I'm like, watch me. I've lost count the amount of times glucose tablets, the amount of times jelly babies and the amount of times Sour Patch Kids in particular have saved my life essentially which is which is crazy to think ben i have one more question for you shoot if you had the opportunity to thank your diabetes for something what would that be thank my diabetes for something i would say for that resiliency we talked about earlier because not to say that you know oh i'm I wouldn't have any if it weren't for diabetes, but I think it is so much stronger and so much woven into the fabric of who I am as a person to not just immediately give up when a no or two no's or 17 no's is presented in front of me. That I think is the most impactful thing that it's done for me. And then I think also if, if I'm going to give, you know, one A and one B, I think just the 
the biggest thing I'm thankful for is getting to interact with amazing people living with it that I never otherwise would have probably gotten a chance to meet and then getting to change lives every day. Love it. Love the answer. Really enjoyed this conversation. Delighted we have finally connected and had a proper conversation. Where, Ben, can people find out more about you? Where can they find out what you do? Um, My Instagram would be one of the top places. So it's at man of zeal. So M-A-N-O-F-T-Z-E-E-L. And then website is yourdiabetesinsider.com. Those would be the top two places. We'll have it all linked in the description. If you do not follow Ben yet, for whatever reason, please go follow him. You, uh, you will learn something new every day, I guarantee it. Ben, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for essentially all the work that you do, because I would be pretty confident that anybody that sees your content will learn something new that will benefit them. So appreciate it. You are far too kind. This was way too fun. Let's do it again. 100%. I'll see you in Florida. (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) Right. Take it easy, Ben. You too. Another massive thank you to today's guest. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out their social channels and links that we've included in the episode description. If you enjoy the podcast, which I'm guessing you do because you listen, be sure to rate, subscribe, and share. It really, really helps the podcast Get heard by more people when you rate, when you subscribe, and when you share. If you feel that you've been able to benefit from it so far, likely someone else would be too. If you have any questions or stories for myself and Graham, please do not hesitate to reach out. We absolutely love getting in the email stories and questions. You can do this through theinsalonepodcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more from me, stay connected, or even work with me and other people living with type 1 diabetes who want to be fitter, healthier, and happier within my type 1% better online program. You can message me directly through Instagram, or you can fill out an application form through the link in the podcast description. And as always, another massive thank you to you for your time and your ears. We greatly appreciate you showing up each week time after time ready to gain knowledge and confidence around your diabetes management so until next week have a good day have a good week look after those blood sugars and i'll chat to you soon take it easy